Hello everyone, my name is Carolyn. Welcome to the Saving for Your First Home podcast. I am the CEO of The Financial Moment. We offer money coaching for those who are ready and willing to make financial changes in their lives. For the most of us, there comes a point in time where we think to ourselves, it would be really nice to own property. But it sometimes can feel like a pipe dream and not very easily obtainable. So I created this podcast to give you all the information and tools you need to take the steps forward toward home ownership. Take it from me, my husband and I started our lives together working part-time jobs with a young child. Fast forward through many hiccups and failures, we stepped our feet into our very first home. For us, it was a pile of dirt, but eventually our family home was built on that dirt. Now we are in the midst of growing our investment property portfolio. I created the Savings for Your First Home podcast to give you easy, actionable tools for you to do the same. If you have that same gut feeling that I did and want to create a life for yourself and your growing family, but don't know where to start, you are in the right place. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Saving for Your First Home podcast. I'm Carolyn, your money coach. Now today we are very excited because we are inviting Siobhan Bent onto our show today. She started her journey over 20 years ago by purchasing her very first investment property at the young age of 23. Can you believe that? She fell in love with the industry and after a short time, she quit her full-time job and dove headfirst into entrepreneurship as a mortgage broker. So I know she understands the importance of financial literacy, and she is super committed to educating, empowering her own community with lots of tools and resources and opportunities that will create legacy for their families. So let's welcome Siobhan onto the show. Welcome, Siobhan. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you decided to come on and share your knowledge with all of us. Hello, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. It's a truly honor to uh, be in your presence and to speak with your audience. I'm so happy that we're doing the same thing, essentially, right? So being able to find and connect with people who share the same interests, share the same passion about educating the masses is truly delightful. So thank you. Yes, again, welcome. I'm excited because, you know, this topic that we're going to get into is probably one of the hotter topics, I think, out there right now. Everybody is thinking about what the interest rates are doing to the housing market. Mm -hmm. And so your knowledge and expertise is so needed right now. So I'm very happy to share that with um, the community. Thank you. So when we think about credit history, Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people make mistakes as they kind of go through, you know, your 20s, you're going through college, you know, you've mm-hmm. kind of made some errors here and there, you've gotten introduced to credit, yes, these types of things. When you're starting to head out of that season, how do you establish a strong credit history? Well, first of all, you got to know where you're starting from. Mm-hmm. I've had over my years, I've talked to several clients who be like, I don't know, I haven't looked at my credit in a couple years. I'm like, how, how is that even so? Right. I believe that your credit report is like your adult report card. And, you know, many years ago, credit wasn't, it's always been a thing, but it's never been an essential tool in the life. And so these days you need credit for just about everything. So it's something that you need to be aware of and be on top of. So the first thing I would say is obviously to pull your credit, to make sure where you stand. How do you build your history is obviously looking back to see what things did you do incorrectly? Things like 
using too much debt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people are extended credit and think that it's an extension of their income. And so, you know, they live by just paying the minimum payments. And so they're carrying debt for a long period of time. And over the course of years, that can impact your credit negatively. So I would say, know where you are. Then the next thing is reflect on your your past behaviors and make adjustments accordingly. So if you know that you've carried debt for a long time, make sure that you're trying to pay down that debt or pay off the debt. Ultimate goal should be to not have any debt and to just use your credit in instances that is going to help you move further, right? Never buy anything that you can't afford to pay for yeah. cash. Preach right? it, preach it. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I do understand, you know, the climate that we're in, you know, incomes aren't moving as quickly as everything else is. So I do understand where credit does play a role in filling that gap, but definitely focus on trying to make every effort possible to reduce your debt as much as possible and then use it how it should be used. Use it and pay off your balances every month if you can, right? Use it and, you know, earn some rewards if you can, but it's literally literally to be used for things that you can afford and not for things that you can't afford. That is so true. You've hit on some really good points. I love the point that you made about being the adult report card. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? Because once we get out of school, we kind of forget about these things. Absolutely. That's how the banks are looking at us, right? Mm -hmm. They're just pulling it up and saying, okay, did you get an A or not? Yeah. And even without your permission. Exactly. (laughs) Sidebar. (laughs) It's so true. And then the other thing is that I've actually read an article that your credit score can be used by employers as well. Absolutely. So many so different if, things are used looking at your credit now. Insurance, uh, something I, I say, cell phones. Like I've had a phone for almost 30 years and they didn't pull my credit then. Had they pulled it, I probably wouldn't have it. But <laughs> that, was, that was not part of the process, right? And so everything is looking at your credit as a reference point to see you know, what type of person are you? How are you managing your money? It is debt, but it does speak to, in the eyes of, you know, the person who's pulling it, how do you, how do you handle money? So yeah, you want to be on top of that. Yeah. I just want to stress the point that you made about habits, because I talk about that a lot on this podcast Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can know where you came from, but if you don't change those habits moving forward, then, you know, what is the point essentially? So, so some really good stuff there. Now, I know that obviously we talked that credit score is very tied to a lot of different things, whether or not you borrow or you, you know, your employer or whatever, mm-hmm. but how does it exactly tie to the mortgage rate that a bank will offer or another company will offer? Mm-hmm. So what I like to teach is that the credit score is a very vital point of the conversation about your eligibility and qualifications. However, it's not the be all and end all. It doesn't stop right there, right? Your credit score is only a reflection of what's actually happening in the body of your credit. So how much debt do you have? How many times are you applying for credit? How frequently are you applying for credit? Where is that credit being held? Those are all the factors that impact the score. And so what the, the lenders are looking at is they're looking at the score as a measuring stick, but they ultimately are looking at your debt load, how long you've had this debt, are you making your payments on time, right? And so let's say you've done everything that you should be able to do, your score will give you access to the top tier type of lending, Mm -hmm. right? So in terms of like uh, a measuring tool, 680 is 
the, I would say the sweet spot, anything above that, you know, it's probably a reflection of your good spending habits, but anything less than that, I wouldn't say that it is going to detrimentally affect a score unless you've had like a very critical situation where you've had to go bankrupt or you are a consumer mm-hmm. proposal and you are now working your way out of that. But the higher the score, the top tier. So there's, you know, a wide range of lenders that you can access to and don't, you don't necessarily have to say have 900 to get the best, <laughs> the best interest rate available to you, but anything, anything over 680 and you have access to the best rates on the market. That's great because we it's good to have a median. And mm-hmm. I think that if someone's aiming for something that, you know, we know what the marker is mm-hmm. and 680 is a marker. And there's so many tools now out there that you can actually check your credit score without paying, you know, Equifax sure. or TransUnion or anything, right? You can just check your credit score and know exactly where you are. And you to are. have that median mm-hmm. is a great measuring tool. Definitely. Um, I will say that the, the scores, because one question I do get, all the time. <laughs> How come I pull my score and I see different scores? So oh, okay. depending on where you're getting that information could reflect a different score, but they all understand it the same way. 680 is considered great, right? 680 and above is considered great. So you definitely want to shoot for the stars, but if you hit, if you hit the, how's it go? Shoot for the moon. If you hit the stars, That's right. you're still in a good spot. So if you're not, right, if, you, if you're trying to get 800, great, but if you get 680, or even 679, there's something that you can do. You can do different things to to get yourself to that space. Yeah, so good good segue into the next question was, are there specific factors that these lending institutions are looking for? So you have the credit score, but are there other factors that they kind of consider? Like mm-hmm. how many car, um, loans you have outstanding, credit cards, things like that. Are there other things yeah. that they consider? So lenders use what's called debt to income ratio. So ensuring that you're not living off of credit. So utilization, your credit card should not be maxed out. Any lines of credit that you have should not be maxed out because one it impacts your eligibility and your purchase power, but they also want to know that you're not living off of credit. Uh-huh. Right. So some of the things that you can do that make it look favorable for you is, is, keeping your balances low, keeping utilization low. So if you do have a few accounts and you can balance those out, that would help. It'll help with your score one, but it also look like you're utilizing your credit efficiently, right? Making your payments on time is is like the game changer, <laughs> right? <laughs> making sure you're making at the very least the minimum payment gets reported by the due date. That will help for sure because those people don't understand is those cause the most hurt, most pain to your credit, making late payments. And so, you know, just a one late payment can hit you 30, 40, 50, sometimes, you know, more points. There's no specific number that we can know, but it will definitely affect you if you are applying for a mortgage and you see that you have a current late payment. So making sure that your payments are paid um, on time every month and keeping your balances low, I think would be the best things. A great point because a lot of my clients sometimes they get into this cycle where they see the due date and they figure, oh, if I paid the day before, but you don't realize that it takes time for that money to get from your bank to the institution mm-hmm. and clear the account. You post it, yeah. And all of a sudden now you're you're have a late payment. I do. And I do so. also encourage my clients five day minimum. Like don't exactly. wait till the due date. Five day minimum. Exactly. Yes. So important. 
All right, so now you know we've built our credit, we're in a good place. What about actually investing in real estate for investment purposes and not just for our primary residence? How does that help to kind of diversify our portfolio? Mm. Well, one, as an investment, you're looking at cash flow, right? Yes. So you're, you have the opportunity, if, if it's the right investment, you have the opportunity to earn income now, but also in the long term, right? So if you keep the property for several years, you know, you're going to be paying the mortgage down, right? So your balance is going to be reducing while you're collecting rents, right? Because if it's an investment property, you're, I'm assuming you're going to rent it out. You're collecting rent, so you're you're getting cash flow, but the property is also going to appreciate over time, right? So that's how it will help with your diversification. Cash flow now that you can also reinvest in the property or into other properties or into other investments, but also on the long-term aspect where your property is going to appreciate. Yeah, I, I I agree totally. And I think that there's some other factors that we also need to communicate out there for people. Because I think a lot of people, they want to invest in real estate and they think it's, you know, oh, rent's coming in. That's great. But mm-hmm. there's so many other factors like property tax. Um, oh, of course. You know, all the different things that come with a mm-hmm. home that you have to be aware of so that you actually are cash positive. You right. Know? And so, so that's, so that's why I use the term cash flow, right? Because ah, most people think just they're renting that. the property, but no, there are definitely um, calculations that you should factor in even before you sign the dotted line and purchase an investment property, right? Exactly. You have to know what the market rents are. How much can you um, actually collect from this property? Is it a two-family property? Can you collect for upstairs and downstairs, right? And then you obviously have to go through the expenses. What is it going to cost? over and above the mortgage, the property tax. Most times, you know, the tenants will pay the utilities, but what if that property is vacant, right? That means you're going to be responsible for it. So you have to make sure that you know all of the numbers and ensure that that investment is going to cash flow and that you won't be in cash flow negative position. Exactly. Yeah. So important. And okay, so my audience are probably in the situation where they're just about to buy their very first home. So (laughs) it's so exciting, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? They're saving, they're doing the work. What are some financing options that do they have? Like, do they always have to go to the top five banks? Like what kind of options do they have to to borrow, to to create that mortgage? Well, so first let me identify what a first-time home buyer is. Oh, first-time home buyers... Ideally, somebody who has never owned property before, right? But there's been an expansion on that that definition. You could have purchased a property before, but as long as you haven't owned in the last four years, you would now be considered, can be considered a first-time homebuyer again. There are some initiatives out there that the government has, you know, so graciously gifted us with. (laughs) I mean, the first one being, you know, being in Canada, we do have access to purchase a property with a minimum of 5% as a down payment. And uh, that only applies to a property up to 500,000. Anything over and above 500,000, you will have to pay a 10% of the difference. That is such a great point because mm-hmm. in Toronto, where we're living in GTA, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get a house for 500000 Like, you no. know, everything is close to the million dollar mark. If not more, yes. So, you know, people think, oh, I just have to save 5%. But really, in fact, you're probably likely going to have to save 10 So And not more. So anything over a million is 20% minimum, right? Yeah. So, but I also like to to stress that it's not just 5%. You have to understand that it, it's 5% of what you qualify for. 
Ah, there we are. Okay. Right? So, <laughs> you know, it's up to 5%. It's 5% up to 500,000, which would equate to 25,000, right? Mm-hmm. But do you even qualify for 500,000? That's that's the determining factor. So the minimum down payment required is is 5% or up to 20% on a on a million dollar property. There's a program that they recently launched that I actually really like and I don't like much things from the government just to say you <laughs> want they've re- recently announced that they have a program called the first home savings account okay that will allow uh, first-time home buyers to save their down payment in this account with t- after tax dollars and allow it to grow mm-hmm. meaning it can be invested and grow and then you don't be taxed on the profits. Oh, very similar to a TFSA. It's actually TFSA's cousin, (laughs) I like to say. (laughs) Right? I like to say it's it's kind of in the middle between the RRSP program, the Home home Buyers Plan, and the TFSA. And so this is specifically for people who are, again, first-timers, never purchased before, or have never owned a property in the last four years. There's also, if you are recently divorced... You also can reclaim that first-time home buyer status as well and access those programs as well. The other program is called the Shared Equity Program. And so again, first-time home buyers. And what this is, is that you will have to have a minimum of 5% down payment and the government will match your down payment. So if you have 5% and you are looking at a resale property, which is a property that is currently lived in or currently owned and you're purchasing it from the vendor, they will give you an additional 5% of the purchase price. However, there's always a catch. (laughs) There's always a catch. It's called shared equity, meaning that you are going into a partnership with the government on this property. Interesting. Right. But I understand the concept. It's, you know, to help people get into home sooner rather than having to wait you know, three, four, five, six, you know, however many years it'll take for them to actually save up that 10%. If you are interested in a new construction property, they will give you an additional 10%. So in total, you're going into this deal with 15% down payment, which would, you know, make your your monthly payments a lot lower than Mm -hmm. had you either one waited or two go try to go in with 5%. So those are some programs that the government um, has recently Im- implemented to help first timers. Um, in terms of financing, you know, any lender can lend up to ninety five percent again based on your qualifications, as long as the lender approves your pro- your part your profile, right. um, but is also subject to what's called default insurance. So we have CMHC, which is Canada Mortgage Housing Corporation. Yeah, 23 years and I still fumble that. (laughs) Um, We also have um, Canada Guarantee and Sagan. And so these companies will protect the lender in the event that something, you know, you're not able to make your payments, then they can recoup. But what that allows them to do is lend up to 95% of the purchase price. Okay. So Mm -hmm. that's helpful for someone that doesn't have the additional. Absolutely. Gives them a little bit of a protection, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it protects the bank, but it gives you the opportunity to get into your home a lot quicker. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now we're ready and we're getting into this market. You know, it's 2023. Mm -hmm. And so 
what are some of the risks that we should be worried about or kind of protect ourselves against in this type of market if we wanted to purchase a home? I think the first thing is to never overextend yourself, mm-hmm. right? Don't want a home so badly that you will max out your budget. Yes. Right? So I can pre-qualify you for a home that's 750000 but does that mean you can actually afford it? Mm-hmm. Right? When I, when I do go through the qualifications, I'm only factoring just a few things off of your, you know, your monthly expenses. But I don't factor in, like, you know, I, I speak to a lot of moms. I don't factor in childcare. I don't factor in uh, daycare or extracurricular activities. Those are things that cost money that doesn't get added to the application, right? So you may be able to, on paper, afford 750000 but does it make financial sense? Exactly. And I think I- that's the first risk, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a big one because um, you know in, in my um, realm I teach budgeting and mm-hmm. that is the key, right? You have to understand all your expenses, not Absolutely. just what the bank is telling. Oh, look, you can buy a million dollar home. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? Can you really afford it? I would say the other thing to be caution of is not all mortgages are created equally, mm. and so you know going back to our credit conversation, sometimes. You know, people are, they really, really, really want to get into a home. And, you know, instead of patiently waiting to rebuild themselves, they'll go in and, you know, commit to a mortgage that is very costly, right? Up on the front end, on the back end, without reading any paperwork, right? And so those are things that I think would be risky, making sure that you, you're very aware of the deal that you're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. Understanding that whomever you're working with is explaining all the costs that are involved in the in the transaction. And then mainly do not overextend yourself. Right. And, and understand what the bottom line is, right? right. And add yeah. that to your budget and see if it actually works. Absolutely. So true. Well, having you on this show has been so awesome. So why do you think it's important to have a mortgage broker in your corner? Oh, that's my favorite question. <laughs> well, I, I've been in the industry for over 20 years and, you know, our, our role in society has changed, right? We've been, at first we were really thought of only for people who had bad credit mm-hmm. and that it couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. What a mortgage broker does, it gives you access to options. Everyone's situation is going to be different and where you are currently you know you may be financially ready but the bank may not like how your portfolio looks right and so therefore you're limited with what the bank can offer you while you're working with myself i have access to every tier of lending out there i have access to the banks i have access to trust companies i have access to credit unions i have access to what we call monoline lenders or mortgage lenders I have access to private funds, right? I have access to so many different types of lenders that you may be able to fit into their box, right? And get yourself into the home a lot quicker. But if you don't have that conversation with a broker, you won't know. We have been taught to go to the banks for everything, right? It's just natural, right? That's where yeah. our parents kind of, you know, took us to open our first bank account. You know, Absolutely, like- <laughs> absolutely. And I have several clients who have, you know, been with an institution for years upon years. And when they were ready to purchase, they weren't able to get approved with that institution, yeah. right? So again, having, working with a broker will give you a multitude of options that will help you to get into your home and a product that works for you. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and like I said, it's some having someone in their corner that's actually rooting for you. Absolutely. Sometimes the banks they're really trying to just sell you something. Sometimes they're not necessarily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not necessarily on your side, right? Absolutely. So it really yeah. makes the difference for right. sure. And we're, we're building a relationship, right? My goal is to not just get you one mortgage. My goal is to educate you through the process and teach you how you can get another mortgage and then another mortgage, right? That's and ultimately it. help you get your kids' mortgages. Typically, the lending institutions, that's not their business. Their business is volume, getting as many deals approved and closed as possible. They're not really concerned with your the holistic look at your financial portfolio. So that's one of the that's the benefit of working that with a mortgage broker. <laughs> Absolutely. So where can they find you? If if anybody wants to reach out, where would they be able to find you? I am available on all social platforms. Instagram though is my playground. You'll find me on Instagram. <laughs> my business page is mortgages for moms using the number four. I, I'm on Facebook as well. I'm even on TikTok. I don't spend a lot of time there, but I like TikTok. I scroll a lot more than I put content out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you can find me on my website at SiobhanBent.com. Absolutely. Such a great conversation. And I thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge with us. Thank you. Um, it's really helpful, especially for a first time home buyer in the saving process. Just, you know, having that information is, mm-hmm. is golden. So Absolutely. again, much appreciated. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. Thank you. Okay. So wasn't that a great conversation? A lot of great points, especially about your credit. I can't stress enough how important it is to protect your credit score. As you've heard, it is used for everything. And I know a lot of you may be discouraged because of the market and the way that it is right now. Things are expensive, interest rates are up, rent is expensive, but if we're building a foundation, this is one of the most important topics. Understanding how to protect your credit, utilizing the government programs that are out there, and then thinking beyond outside of the box perhaps buying property for an investment purpose, living and renting. You know, there's so many opportunities out there. So don't get discouraged by the market conditions right now, because as you build that foundation, you are going to get better and better and be in a place when things are right for you to be able to act on it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was great talking to my colleague Siobhan. And if you have more questions, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm only a DM away on Instagram and you can send me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you have topics that you'd like to learn about, please feel free to share them with me and I will add them to our roster. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week, Thursday, same time, same place. Thank you for listening. We are committed to helping you place your very first steps into your new home. See you next time.